0: Welcome to Group Talk, four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network, focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Reading Lens with Nick Lindsay.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Reading Lens. So happy to be with you today. We loved hearing how much you've enjoyed our first episode, and we have another great one lined up for you today. I'm your host, Nick Lindsey. For those who are new, welcome. We're so glad that you've joined us. Reading Lens is a group talk podcast where we'll share with you insights from books that we are reading and what our takeaways are, how we plan to incorporate those into our lives, leadership, and our small groups. I know this is our second episode, but we're gonna share with you what was originally our pilot episode. We were really just gonna record this as a test, but it was such a good conversation that we didn't want it to go to waste. To give you a little bit of context for this episode, it was recorded back in June And I'm sure, as you know, that really feels like it was recorded long ago in this 2020 climate. But to help me out with today's episode are two people who've really helped pave the way for the show to become a reality, Andrew Camp and Carolyn Takeda. I love these two people. They're so thoughtful and wise. The three of us used to do book reviews on the old group talk format, and we'll leave those in the show notes. There's some really good books that we went through. Uh, But let's share a little bit about today's guest. Andrew is currently a spiritual growth pastor at Mountain Life Church in Park City, Utah where he's been serving there since 2016 and contributes monthly to the Small Group Network blog. Some really good posts out there from from Andrew. Carolyn serves as the Small Group Pastor at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California, where she's been on staff since 2005. She has been the host of Group Talk Podcast for the past five years and is now the host of a newly named show, Here to There, under the Group Talk umbrella, for the Small Group Network. I swear to you, I'm not sharing this just because I'm a good friend of hers, but it's so good. She recently had an episode with Ben Reed that I just really enjoyed. Uh, It was just an honest, good conversation and so relevant for what we're facing in our groups ministry. So be sure to check that out. One of my favorite things about the three of us is that each of us kind of stumbled into small group ministry. Carolyn used to be an attorney. Andrew was a chef. I worked on Wall Street as an investment banker. So, you know, we didn't set out to become small group Ministers. And so I think that's one of the reasons that I love the small group network is besides just meeting great people like Andrew and Carolyn, it's been a great place for resources to learn. Our story is pretty much, you know, pretty common in the network in that the majority of us didn't set out to lead small group ministries. And so this is a common place where we can come together and learn and grow. So let's get this show started. Today's book is Daring Greatly by Dr. Brene Brown. The subtitle of the book is How the Courage to Be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead. We're going to be sharing a lot about that today and how that courage to be vulnerable really helps us with our small groups. Karen, I'd love if you could start us off. Would you give our listeners a quick summary of this book and include some background on Brene Brown?
2: Sure. So, Nick, thanks for having us on. Um, I love that you're going to take our book, Talk to New Places. I love the title and the whole concept, (laughs) um, especially as we keep reading books that aren't necessarily Christian but have biblical values that we can apply into our ministry. And Brene Brown, this book, oh my goodness, she's like a cultural phenom now. Um, But when this book came out eight years ago, she is a professor in the Graduate School of Social Work at the University of Houston. She is a um, social worker by trade, and she's done a lot of research, and that's partly her role. And she's done a lot of research on shame and vulnerability. Um, But the way she came to fame was because she was the number two most watched TED Talk, currently at 48 million views. I mean, that's like
1: that's (laughs) That's nuts. And she also got that. Oprah bump too.
2: Oh, yeah, that didn't hurt, right? <laughs> so she's like huge. She now also has a podcast um, that I listen to, that I think is, is really good. She just has a lot of wisdom because she's done a ton of research. And you know, anyone who listens to group talk knows I love people who've done their homework and facts are friends. So she's done a lot of research and has shown over and over again, regardless of what context. Um, And what uh, people group, whether it's military or business people or students, she interviews women, men, different races, these uh, research findings seem to be kind of universal around vulnerability and shame. And so I think there's a lot she can help us understand. But um, Nick, if you don't mind, Daring Greatly, the title, and I did not know this (laughs) about where this uh, quote came from. And maybe, I don't know, Andrew, you're more of a historical reader. I don't know if you knew where it came from.
3: Not at all. Nope. Nope.
2: Yeah. So I, and I love this so much. I actually have it on my office wall now. But where the title Daring Greatly comes from is from President Theodore Roosevelt's speech in Paris. And it's commonly known as the man in the arena. Um, and it's not super long. So I, I can just read the quote real fast. And it's so fitting for our moment now. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. And that just like took a hold of my heart, This I think I read it about maybe six, seven years ago, and the idea that um, it's really about showing up, it's about engagement, it's about being active and intentional in our lives, to show up as who we are in all of our imperfection, um, to be in a vulnerable state, and allow ourselves to be seen for who we are. And being okay with whatever happens, whether that leads to rejection or enthusiasm or whatever leads to being okay for that. And I think because we know Jesus, because our identity is grounded in him, we can be, um, show up in our whole vulnerability. And this is really the core of what we hope happens, right in our small groups, that there is this honest engagement with who we are and who we want to become, and an acceptance and grace with one another for we, who we aren't yet. Um, so I thought it had a lot of application for ministry.
1: Totally. Uh, yeah. One other thing I just want to say too about this book that my my wife introduced it to me probably like three or four years ago. I remember we were on vacation and looking for an audio book and we had just found out that that Brene Brown had recorded it because before it was by another author. And that's a whole nother thing of audio books not recorded <laughs> by authors. But uh, and I just like ate it up. And especially being in a small group world, I just could not read this without thinking, oh, that's why we behave that way or that's why we do those things. And I was really excited when we found out we were going to do this book because I just really enjoyed it the first time. But I think I even grew a greater appreciation the second time around because you know we were texting on the side and Andrew was talking about how you know this book was starting to get to him and it was happening to me too. There's <laughs> there's just stuff in this book that when you reread it or you you come to it there's there's things that just like oh I'm not kind of dealing with that yet or I haven't acknowledged that that. Or you know, she really hits on that. But um, Andrew, how would you say that this book is defining vulnerability? And why is it important?
3: Yeah, no, I think it's super important, because vulnerability seems to be a very um, popular word within Christianity, especially in the young, among younger um, pastors and Mm -hmm. leaders. And so we have to understand it correctly. And what I love about Brene is her understanding that it's sort of this uncertainty, this risk, And this emotional exposure that vulnerability lies at the heart of all other feelings and emotions or the birth. She calls it the birthplace of emotions, you know, that without vulnerability, there's no love or joy or courage or empathy or creativity in the world. And so it's really just about the, I think like Carolyn mentioned earlier, it's the risk of showing up and letting ourselves be seen, you know, and it's that idea that man in the arena quote of, you know, am I going to do that work? And it's it's not going on a victory parade afterwards. You're usually limping afterwards, as she <laughs> says. Um, but it's just this idea of, okay, who who do I want to show up to the world and show myself to be in the world? Or she uses the phrase a lot, um, wholehearted living. You know, and mm-hmm. who, how do I bring my whole self into every aspect of living, not just ministry, but parenting, marriage, friendships? Uh, you know, And we'll talk about some of the myths she shares because I think those are important to sort of hone in where we're yeah. going with this idea of vulnerability.
2: And it, it used to matter even more now than when she wrote it in terms of think about social media, you guys. Like the whole idea of how you show <laughs> up in social media is not necessarily related to how you show up in real life or with certain friends or church circles versus non-Christian circles. I, it's the wholehearted piece I love because it's really about being mm. an integrated whole. So who you are is who you are, regardless of whether it's on screen, off screen, in church, at a church, with your kids, with your spouse. I mean, all of that, I, that's
3: it's a really important piece. That's a great reminder of the role of social media has transformed wholehearted living or, you know, the vulnerability aspect.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting how that kind of changes from year to year, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, so this book was written in 2010, which that means Facebook is about seven years old then and you know, we, we fast forward 10 years and now there's 17 and there's probably 17 different social media platforms that we're all a part of. And thankfully, none of us are dancing on TikTok yet. But uh, um, yeah. <laughs> Way so. too
2: old for that. But I Nick, <laughs> you, you're kind of there. You could. I
1: don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, th- you know, one of the things that uh, uh, right off the bat, this book kind of starts off pretty hot and heavy. And one of the things that it starts off with is this culture of never enough. And mm-hmm. you guys alluded to, you know, social media kind of, pointing that out of where we are able to see the never enough. But, you know, I, I think about my own ministry and where these never enough kind of phrases creep in. And I think about how there's times when I'm like, man, we never have enough groups or, mm-hmm. um, you know, you start hearing from elders or people where we, we're not having enough growth. We're never enough. You know, you never have enough leaders. You're never smart enough. And, and these lies just start to eat at you. You know, I don't, are there other areas where you guys have seen never enough creeping in to your or affecting your ministry?
3: I think it's sometimes, especially when you're new, you're, you don't have enough experience or you're, you're, you Mm -hmm. don't understand, or if you're younger on an older church staff, like that downplay of the, you know, somebody else mentioned like rookie smarts or something, you know, where like they downplay that of, you you know, once you have more experience, you'll understand, um, versus buying into that, idealistic hope that many new people can bring.
2: Yeah. And I think that the whole never enough probably time to connect with people, never enough Mm. ministry dollars to go around, Mm. never enough leaders for the number of people want to get connected. Um, There's, yeah, there's a lot of that. I think I've, you know my kids are, are now in college, and I, I thought that a lot with parenting, where it shows up where you feel like you're not good enough, especially as a mom a working mom too, that that's really pretty insidious and seems universal for working moms as well. Yeah. Um, so it does show up. and maybe for men, you know maybe it's especially if they're the primary wage earners. And our people in our small groups are dealing with this all the time, not feeling like they're good enough for their jobs, for the next promotion, they're getting looked over. Their marriage isn't as good as the one on Facebook. You know, there's never enough on that. That's a huge, that's a whole other topic, Nick. Down the road, you can get someone on to talk about marriage, <laughs> marriage and ministry.
3: I think yeah. another area I can play, in, especially within our church culture, is when we talk about people's never enough time, or they, they don't have enough time to volunteer or be part of a small group. And are we yeah. believing that scarcity lie of uh, the time? people have to be part of ministry. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think I've seen it most recently. I mean, so this is being recorded in June and and we're um, heavy in the race relations right now. And I mean, we've physically heard this phrase said to us on our staff, just that we're not saying enough, we're not doing enough. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, it's hard to hear um, and wrestle with because i think one of the things that's just challenging of working at a church is like this you have to be right right mm-hmm. and trying to please people is 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 really really challenging and um yeah you know, i'll admit we have a lot of ways that we need to grow and stuff like that but it's just it's really hard when you're not completely in that decision seat like you know us as small group pastors usually we're not the ones that get to make the final calls and stuff like that so it gets really challenging sometimes when when those never enoughs creep into there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So she takes kind of the, the backdrop of our never enough culture and that's really systemic. It, it's not just mm-hmm. individual. It's really about American capitalism. Um, and that it breeds, <laughs> basically breeds that idea of competitiveness and drivenness and all of that. So you can, the, she, she sets up kind of the framework for it, the scaffolding. And then what does it breed in us? That's really destructive is that there's three pieces. There's the shame comparison and, and disengagement, And the, I mean, they're all kind of intertwined, but, mm-hmm. um, I think because the theme, one of the big themes of the book is about engagement. She's trying to really inspire and compel and exhort Mm -hmm. towards engagement. And what holds people back in engagement is the fear, the shame that if I am seen, people are going to know my weaknesses and then I'm going to be shamed for it. And I come out of a Korean American culture, which is really big on shame. Um, Mm. And I've heard from my Catholic friends that they really get that. And I've heard from my Jewish friends that they also get shame. Um, Maybe it's the kind of more European Americans that don't, but the idea is, that if, if I do show up and what I show up with is inadequate, then, mm-hmm. um, then there's just the shame comes in and that's so painful that I'd rather disengage. Um, and part of why I think you look at whether or not you should engage or not, is we do that comparison thing and think, okay, my, mm-hmm. what I'm bringing, is that good enough for the room, for the group, for our leadership? Um, and then we try to calculate, is that going to lead to shame or praise? Um, if that's our hook or whatever, you know, you guys hook may Maybe that, that one is mine. And we'll talk a little more about perfectionism and stuff, but that one is mine. And so I have to constantly check in with, you know, the idea of daring greatly is that it doesn't matter that even if you fail, the fact that you tried something that aligns <laughs> with our values and yeah. our principles and how we want to live our lives and Jesus, that that's good enough. And man, that is just, I wish I could just like Embed that into my heart, but I have to remind myself over and over that 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 is enough.
1: Bringing this right into this same example, we're not saying enough, we're not doing enough, and then I immediately start feeling shame because like there's some truth to that, right? Mm-hmm. And so, man, I I could be doing more, and then so then I start searching like, okay, well, what are other churches doing? What are, what's going on? What can I <laughs> and do? And the comparison and then you, kicks in. You run into the comparison <laughs> trap, right? And then you become so overwhelmed at the number of options that you have that you're just <laughs> like, you know what? It's easier to
3: quit. I'm done. Out, Peace out. <laughs> I'm stepping out of this, right? Yeah. I think too, just realizing, you know, she made a point with this, that the opposite of scarcity isn't abundance. And I tend to think of abundance, you know, cause we, we have a God who is abundant in all things, but for us as this day in, day out living is vulnerability of, so how like, I don't need an abundance of leaders to make me feel better. What I need to do is like what Carolyn said is just keep showing up. And that's yeah. enough, you know, and so I just trying to think that and, you know, the disengagement parts big of because in these crises moments, it's like, you know, we just want to unplug because, you know, there's so much feeling, <laughs> you know, it's just too much to carry. At times, it's like, I, I can't carry the weight of all of this anymore. And so I'm just gonna, like, push it aside and numb myself on Netflix for 30 hours. So yeah. No. It's- <laughs> yeah. Cool.
1: So let's move on to the another you know her next big section in here is where she starts to break down. I'm going to read off the four of them, and then we can sort of talk about you know how we see those infiltrating our groups. So the first one is that vulnerability is weakness. The second one is that I don't do vulnerability. The third one is um, the vulnerability of letting it all hang out. So this is the person that just. Comes in overshares. She shares. She shares this concept of floodlighting that I'd love to talk about. And then the fourth one is we can go at it alone. Carolyn, is there one that that you see that sort of jumps out?
2: Yeah, I think the first one for sure. Um, in our training, we talk quite a bit about saying um, y- if you want vulnerability, and I don't. People don't even like that word, especially older. Yeah. Um, males <laughs> I don't <even> like the <laughs> word. So I, I kind of choose a different word. I just talk about authenticity. They seem more comfortable with that, but I'm saying the same thing, um, is the idea that, you know, if you want an authentic sharing and discussion, then you're going to have to go first. Leaders have to go first. So mm-hmm. you need to model that, which means you need to show a weakness. You need to share that you're not doing the Christian life and victoriously as you would wish. Uh, And you don't get to just tell the stories with the perfect endings where you triumphed and you and God wrote off in the says that together. You're going to have to share, Hey, this is really hard right now. I'm really struggling at work or home or wherever. And would you pray for me? I said, the minute you do that, that is not weakness. That is actually your best opportunity for leadership, and that will make everybody else in the group relax and feel safe. That's how you build safety is by showing your vulnerability. And you don't have to share the deepest, darkest thing, because then they kind of look at me with these big eyes like, what, what do I have to share? No, to share your secret sin. But you do need to share uh, areas of struggle, because otherwise Christians just stay in their holy bubble and they want to keep pretending that everything's okay. And that helps nobody. Um, So I think in training, I I spend a a significant amount of time talking about um, get comfortable, being uncomfortable and be open and share first. And you have to share first.
1: We do the same and, and we kind of have really jumped on to how North Point really, North Point, they're just so good at boiling things down to simple. And so they do the show up, join in and be real. And that be real part is that like bringing who you are and, you know, allowing others to know that. And I think it kind of transitions into that next one where it's like, I don't do vulnerability. I think what she's really trying to communicate there is that like, you don't have an option. Like vulnerability isn't (laughs) like, like something that you just avoid and it's just like how we express ourselves she she uses it a lot within love you know and you know as christians we're called to to love each other and so that's gonna take vulnerability it's gonna take risk it's gonna take putting yourself out there
2: do you think andrew like andrew your church has older people and older generations more boomers i'm curious about this because nick your church is younger and when i talk to young adults um who are gen z or millennials they seem to really love the word vulnerability and transparency. <laughs> they love all of that. Um, so I'm curious for you, Andrew, like if this is a harder concept to communicate to an older audience.
3: No, I immediately thought of my context about, you know, vulnerability is weakness and I don't do vulnerability, you know, because being in Park City, you have to have wealth to show up and <laughs> live here. And mm-hmm. so you have type type A male executives who have run Fortune 500 companies, vulnerability is a weakness in that field they were taught Mm -hmm. and so like to get small groups out of the plane of simply talking about scripture is it makes me want to disengage at times you know like if i'm (laughs) honest with myself like it's just how hard do you push when this is such a foreign topic for them and i loved what she said like when she's talking about this as a weakness is just owning the the scaredness of the reality like she says on pages page 37 Um, Yes, we are totally exposed when we are vulnerable. Yes, we are in the torture chamber that we call uncertainty. And yes, we are taking a huge emotional risk when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable. But there's no question we're taking risks, braving uncertainty, and opening ourselves up to emotional exposure equals weakness. As we talk about vulnerability, I think owning that reality, like this is scary and not natural, is important to remember. Like We've not been trained in this, you know, for discipling people towards Jesus and authenticity and sharing in his weakness. Like that's not how we are discipled in our culture, you know, as a whole. And so we have to move our people away from the the natural bent of culture towards the natural bent of Jesus. It's
2: true. Yes. Yeah. I think part of the resistance to that word for um, anyone who's maybe Gen X or boomers is there's this fear and I always hear it in every, every training, Oh, well, you're not saying every, you know, you should let it all hang out because, you know, (laughs) heaven forbid that happens, right? And I think it's the discomfort with mess, messiness, Mm -hmm. if you let it all hang out. And I love her, how she kind of dispels that. There's this common misperception that it means you have no boundaries, you're inappropriate, someone sucks up all the time and air in the room because they're sharing about their stuff over and over and over. Um, But she has this quote, she says, vulnerability is about sharing our feelings and experiences with people who've earned the right to hear them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Vulnerability without boundaries leads to disconnection, distrust, and disengagement. Um, and I've had this conversation with people quite a bit, people mm-hmm. who tend to share more, um, not necessarily even overshare, but just more tender-hearted people. And I've, you know, and they get hurt and I will have the conversation of, did the person you share it with, did the group, was the group at a level of trust where they could hear it? Because what ends up happening, people share and they're expecting a response. They don't get the response. They feel hurt. Then they disengage. So we want to like stop that loop going. And so in part of the training with small group leaders is to say, you know, authenticity does not mean you share everything. It's really about being real about what you are sharing and being real about how you are feeling in the moment. And so the disclosure that you have in the group about your personal life has to be appropriate to the level of trust and relationship that exists there. And I like her caution on that because she's not saying just show up and have no armor or just, you know, dare greatly means you're just out there um, you know, in the arena with nothing. No, you are out there with other people, um, who are going to have your back, and who it's appropriate for. So I, I try to dispel this myth when I talk about being authentic mm. and being real, because this is the one that um, leaders are afraid of.
1: Yeah, I'm totally going to take from hers to the she, that concept of floodlighting that she uses. So,
3: yeah.
1: in, in other words, what she's talking about is an actual kind of floodlight. When it, when that light turns on, it's so bright, and that. Floodlight is there to light up the entire room, but what ends up happening is, is when someone turns on, you know that vulnerability. It's way too much. It's that floodlight, and it just blinds everyone. And I mean, you can't see how I'm recording, but I'm like shielding my <laughs> eyes and like closing them. But um, so for for those listening in their car right now, um, but uh, yeah. And then her last myth is just that we can't go at it alone. And you know, I think where that kind of applies to groups, I think that has a lot to do with us as the point people because, you know, one of the reasons I again such a big fan of small group network, but why it was important in my life is that, you know, our leaders have other leaders they can talk to, our coaches yeah. have other coaches they can talk to, but rarely do the point people have other point people to talk mm-hmm. to. And it's just been so healthy to have other people to talk to you and realize that like, oh, like these are some norms that happen. There's this thing of you think that you can do it by yourself. And uh, you know, it's funny is like we're so good at giving that advice to people in our church to be like, yes. you can't go at this alone. Hop in a group. <laughs> but then when it comes to us, we're like facing these problems and we're trying to take them on ourselves. And, hmm. you know, yeah. if, if that just rung a bell for you, I, I got to say, like, see if you can find your local huddle. And even if it's been a while since they've met, just email that leader. And, and I guarantee you they'll be willing to pick up the phone and talk to you.
3: Well, I loved how she ended that topic because she said the greatest yeah. people in our lives aren't the people on the bleachers cheering for us but mm-hmm. those in the yes. arena fighting for us and with us and i think that's your point with the small group network is it these are the people in the arena fighting with us and for us and yeah like it is a lifesaver to find those people you can trust that can share your war stories can share the scars and um, can bandage you up when you're wounded uh, because we we need it yeah yeah so, you know, we've we've gotten into the
1: the myths and how it's been come destructive, you know, then she moves on to how we kind of protect ourselves from being vulnerable and she talks about vulnerability armory. So, kind of the, the weapons and so she has three of them foreboding joy, which is the paradoxical dread that clamps down on the moment of joyful. Well, that that was just the academic in her. So, foreboding joy is is really like <laughs> <laughs> making sure that you're not peaking uh too it's, high or too Eeyore. low. You, it's
2: EOR. It's it's yes, basically yeah. being being unwilling to allow yourself to be happy or joyful because you're worried that the minute you are, that it's going to be taken yes. away from you.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and I guarantee you, this is going to be a big part of this podcast. Is Nick trying to read big words that <laughs> just totally missing <laughs> them? So, uh, maybe we'll get a sound effect for that in the future. Uh, the next one is perfectionism, believing that everything perfectly means that you never feel shame. And the last one is numbing, where we embrace whatever deadens the pain of discomfort and pain. Is there one in particular these that that stand out to you guys?
2: Yes. Yeah, so I've already confessed that uh, <laughs> I'm a, I struggle with perfectionism. I tell people that I'm a, a recovering perfectionist. But I'm a one on the enneagram, which means I'm the reformer or the perfectionist. And I think for me... Um, what the vulnerability piece so feels so scary is because I want to avoid that feeling of shame, the feeling that I didn't measure up, I wasn't good enough. And so it's easier not to engage and not to show up. And so I, I think it makes me more, um, in, when I'm caught up in that, I can become more risk averse. So, you know, she says, perfectionism is not the path that leads to our gifts and our sense of purpose. It's a hazardous detour. And I used to, in my younger years, unless I knew I could do it pretty well, I would say, no, I wouldn't want to try. Um, and I felt such a sense of failure with that. But God's really worked on me on this. And I've had to, in ministry, have had to say yes to stuff that I don't know how to do. I mean, this is not what I was trained for. I mean, you know, Andrew a chef. You're a trader, And I was a, <laughs> a, a lawyer. So I thought, this just makes no sense. And so early on, I kind of thought, adopted as my ministry verse, you know, that God's grace is sufficient. And when mm-hmm. I have to do something that's a little, out, that's out of my wheelhouse or just way out of my wheelhouse, I remember the first time I had to speak on our stage. And I was just praying and doing the announcement. It really shouldn't have been a big deal. (laughs) But I was, oh my goodness, I was hyperventilating. I was so nervous. And I thought, this is crazy. I've spoken in court, I've done other things. Like, why is this so frightening to me? But it just kind of like, like just Satan just kind of got a hold of me. And like, you're going to fail, and everyone's going to see it. All 2,000 people are going to be laughing at Mm -hmm. you. It was this kind of crazy moment. And I took a deep breath and I did it, and it was awful. Like I, I stuttered. I, I couldn't. I said, "I'm um, like a million times." I was terrible, <laughs> and so no. And I came down, and I felt like, like red and flushed, and just all the physiological symptoms of shame um, and embarrassment. And I thought, I can't believe I just, I tanked that so badly. Um, now everybody's going to not want to be led by me. Now our ministry is going to suck. I mean, the whole thing. I just went down this whole rabbit trail of horribles. Um, and what's so interesting is. Later that day, I came home. I just wanted to crawl into bed and just forget it ever happened and just disappear. But what I realized was that I lived through it. The worst thing that could have happened, happened in the sense for me. The the irony is that most people thought it was fine. But for me, it was awful. And because (laughs) it was so awful, I thought, I'm not going to survive this. It felt... So difficult, and then I realized, you know what? I I survived that. You know, I can live to fight another day. And I thought, if that's the worst I can be, that and people didn't run away and they signed me up for another, you know, prayer next the following month or whatever. I'm like, okay. And I asked our leaders, like that was really awful, and they're like, yeah, it could have gone better, but you know, it's a it's a good start. (laughs) Um, And what's so sweet now, you guys will get a kick out of this. So I've been doing now those for maybe ten years, and there's people who still remember that one, the first one where I was mm-hmm. trembling, literally shaking like a leaf on stage. <laughs> and my voice was trembling. I looked like, sounded like I was going to cry. So now they remember, and they are so cute because they'll come up to me, even now, now that I've smoothed out this, and I've done it enough times, they'll come up to me and they'll be like, oh, I just love seeing how God's grown you and love mm-hmm. hearing from you. And I remember when you were nervous, like it's become part of an endearing endearing story because they can relate to it. And they're like I could never do yeah. that. I could never do this thing. And so it be- become part of the story I share about when I, stepped out and did something really scary. God showed up and worst thing happened and I survived and God shows up again. So it's the kind of trusting God's grace to meet us um, when we do those things. So that's been part of my technique um, or, you know, kind of the trying to get over perfectionism. There's really no shortcut. You kind of have to do it, fail, realize you're still loved and then you do it again over and over.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I really appreciated that part of this book too, because, uh, I have, struggle with perfectionism. If you if you want to hear about that, go back and listen to our last podcast <laughs> on free to focus when you hear about my ideal week and all this stuff. And you'll be like, Man, you are striving for a lot there, buddy. And then throw in COVID to this and and uh, it was God trying to tell me to slow down. But I really loved how she talked about how we use that to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. I never thought about how perfectionism can be this shield of like, oh well, the reason that this didn't go well is because I didn't do it perfectly. And so you end up in this crazy cycle but what's right. but what's hard is that like you know even when you think about the gospel like it's impossible for us to be perfect and you know thankfully Jesus has has uh, transferred that to us uh, the amount of grace that's there but I also relate to the the numbing that's in here what she does a really good thing talking about how numbing isn't just you know often we just think it's drug and alcohol or whatever sort of addiction it, it, it is out there but and this was from ten years ago too but she talks about how like even the phone can be a a form of numbing. And ever since reading this book, I just totally feel that where like, (laughs) you know, after I've been scrolling Twitter for some time to just like, it hits hits me and it's just like, all right, Nick, what are you avoiding? What is going on here that you are just stuck in this trance and you can't get off the couch, you can't do these things. And so I've really enjoyed how that has helped me to think through these things. Andrew, is there any any for you that?
3: that Yeah, I think the foreboding joy, you know, sometimes I tend to think the worst case is going to happen. Um, You know, if my, you know, during COVID, if my chest hurts, I have COVID, obviously, because, <laughs> you know, what else could it be? Or, you know, I cough, therefore I have COVID, you know. And so I think just this, she talks about foreboding joy is that protection of preventing us from really living in that moment, those uh, embracing those simple joys. And so it's, it's that moment where when I am enjoying that moment how do i let myself be fully present and not think you know if it's with claire my wife like well if she knew this or you know if she you know like just that yes but um how do i get rid of that yes but in my head you know or you know and so i think that's just really key you know is how do we because she talks about in the foreboding joy of just finding the joy in the simple things you know, that joy isn't this euphoric high of, you know, so how do we just find common joy in the everyday, especially during this time, you know, and for me, that's been going on walks with my four-year-old daughter, just pushing her in the stroller and having her talk to me mm-hmm. about little things or saying, Daddy, can we play I spy with my little eyes, you know? Um, And how do I just embrace those times and not think through all the ifs, ands, buts about ministries right now that really just be present? Yeah. And I
1: I can release this one too a bit, too. I I know several years ago I went through this and just conversations with God and not recognizing that by trying to block the emotional pains of like hurts and um, anger, those kind of things, and trying to suppress them it's really hard to do that without also suppressing joy and yeah. these other
3: yeah.
1: kind of emotions that it, then it leads to numb. Right. right. And so like, it, you're not going to be able to fully embrace the joy until you're able to fully embrace that hurt and allow, yeah. you know, Jesus to come in there and heal that wound. And one of the things I'll say too is like, that's not always a thing that you should handle by yourself. <laughs> um, you know, seek professional counseling. It's what, what I did that was super helpful, but uh yeah. So, hey, as we start to wrap up, anything else that that we may have missed?
2: During this COVID season, I, I've had to mediate more messes in small groups than we've had previously um, and just hard stuff, messy stuff. And it's been it's been trying because it's I think people's resistance um, during the stressors of this time, all the uncertainty is bringing out more of people's unhealthy sides and as well as weaknesses. So I keep telling leaders, this is an opportunity. You're getting to see the cracks in people's lives that typically in Southern California and our affluent area you don't get to see. You're going to see cracks in people's parenting and stressors. And so now you have an opportunity to step into those cracks and meet it with grace and love and support. And that will change your group going forward. But man, in that process is so messy and feels so um, threatening and uncomfortable that they just want to get to the end. Just tell me how to fix my group. And I'm like, there's the only way through is through. Um, and so, embrace the opportunity, embrace the discomfort, uh, and hopefully, what comes out of it is to trust that God can redeem that. Uh, that's, I, you know, I think apart from Jesus, like a book like this really would just annihilate me because, really, how could I possibly have the confidence or the security to venture out? It's way too scary
3: to do that. I think for me, just um, this mind the gap, she talks about it um, aspirational values versus practice values. And so, you know, in in your church, in our churches, we have aspirational values. Like, we'll say we want everyone in a group, um, but what is our actual practice value? Mm-hmm. And Brené mm-hmm. talks about that: the greater the divide between those two, the greater level of disengagement. So, the more you hear your senior pastor say, preach on groups, and but don't actually practice it, yeah, you, you're you're going to disengage. And I found myself struggling with that. Like, you know, pe- you know, we want everyone in a group, but only if you have time or only if you can make time or only if it fits your schedule or if it's convenient, but don't inconvenience yourself too much, but we know you have an excuse. And so that just leads to disengagement. And the tricky part will be it. it's easy for me to see that, but then how do I have those hard conversations that require vulnerability in me showing up, but that don't raise the defenses of my leadership to the point where they can't hear me? so that they don't tap into that scarcity, never enough, I'm never good enough as a leader for you. And so I don't know, I I don't have an answer for this yet. But I just think like, this, this would be one way of taking a hard look at our ministries of, okay, where, where do we fall? And where can I lead um, us forward during this time? Yeah, I
1: think that that's so important for us to review pretty much on almost on, I would encourage you guys to do this on an annual basis, but like review how you guys are communicating your groups on a Sunday online, those kind of things, because I think what ends up happening is, is we end up communicating sometimes this dream world of what groups are. And then Mm -hmm. when they go to it, it doesn't line up to what it is. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we've really had to balance how we promote our groups, because if you go in and you share just the stories where there's this extreme level of care, mm-hmm. then they're gonna, everyone's gonna expect that when they go to group, and you can't promise that that care is always gonna be there inside every single group. The same goes with, um, you know, relationships that'll get built in group, and the the spiritual growth. It's just really trying to find the tension between them. Uh, but then one of the other things I'll say too that I try to like monitor is that like, you know, we have some groups that they kind of want to go on their own path. They want to do their own study. They want to do those things. Like when I have a group that comes to me and they want to do it their own way, like I'm not going to promote their group online because that's not what we're communicating our groups to be. Mm-hmm. So if someone ends up jumping in that group from from church, from online, and they jump into that, they're going to think that's what those groups are. And so you kind of need to watch out for that too in that like of uh, is what you're communicating actually what you're delivering. So that that's a... Mm-hmm. Super. I realize I really got away from vulnerability, but I think it's like super important that that she's kind of acknowledging from a group kind of communication standpoint. I realize she's talking more of like, are you personally, you know, delivering what you say you're going to do um, with. Uh, I would say that one of the other things, too, that, that this book is worth is her section on parenting is really good. Um, I learned a lot not just as a parent, but as a leader, I think there's some phenomenal concepts in there. She has one about <laughs> approaching things from the same side of the table. So in other words, like communicating this value of like, we're in this together. That, that was that was really good. And then she has this one thing that I teach my all of my groups, the most important phrase that they can know is, um, I don't know the answer, but I'd love to go seek that out for you. It was really cool to see this in the book. I don't think I got it from this book, but I just love that Like, too often our leaders are expected to be these experts and I never want them to be that. I just want them to be encouragers inside the group and we can come alongside and partner with them. So them knowing that, like, hey, I don't have the answer, but like, let's go figure this out together is just such a great way to communicate to someone like, hey, I care about you and I care about this answer. And I'm not going to waste your time by giving you a fake answer that I'm not confident about. Mm-hmm. So I thought
3: that was that was really awesome. Her parenting chapter is gold. But one thing that does carry over is she talks about the fact that it's not about what type of kids you're raising, but who you're displaying for your kids to see to, that yes. will really shape them. And so I think that's cool as a pastor to think about. It's not about like what type of disciples do we want to form, but who are we showing ourselves to be a disciple of Christ to that can mimic and bring People alongside and invite people into that journey, that hard, vulnerable journey with us. So, no, yeah, her chapter on parenting is gold.
1: Yeah. The other thing I'll point out in the parenting one that's there is she dives back into that comparison thing. A lot of parents are always Mm -hmm. like, because none of us have been parents before we get into it. And it's kind of like none of us have been small group people. So, we're like trying to figure out how do we do this, right? And she has this quote in there it says, daring greatly means finding our own path and respecting what the search looks like for other folks. And that was a really hard lesson for me to learn, because you think that you have this perfect model, right? And but you know that there's like this these weaknesses within it, and so then you start judging other small group models that are out there while they're doing that. But like you don't understand necessarily the context of where they're doing that or why they come up with it, and so um, that has been critical. We yeah, well, the comparison well. piece. Uh,
2: what you were saying earlier about what we communicate and what we actually deliver—that's where we get in trouble. So typically, mm-hmm. you do the promo video yep. with the great story, and you, I, I mean, you're not going to highlight a mediocre, you know, kind of social <laughs> yes, group, yeah. right? What kind of marketing is that?
1: <laughs> All right, we're, we're we're we've hit the end. We want to thank you guys for listening through this whole time. It's been really great having you with us. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Listen, you can find all of us in the Small Group Network Facebook group. If you're not a part of it, just search for it on Facebook. It is one of the best resources. We just celebrated. 5000 people Woo-hoo. being a part of it. Yeah. There's great conversations going on there every day. You can search different topics within it. That probably needs to be a YouTube tutorial video that will get done sometime. But uh, <laughs> really great way to, to to find those those things and meet people who are thinking the same way, not necessarily thinking the same way, but are in the same arena that you are. We'll be back next month with Steve Kern from Compassion Christian Church in Savannah, Georgia. We'll be covering the book Extreme Ownership by Jocko Wilnick and Leif Babin. So if you want to read along with us and get a head start, it's written by two Navy SEALs. It's a pretty exciting book. They share what they've learned on the battlefield and how it applies to leadership in any environment. But uh, before coming a small group point person, Steve was in the Navy and I told him to pick out a Navy book. And this is the one he picked out already been in it and it is fantastic it should make for it an awesome conversation so we'll see you next month remember leaders are readers take care everyone
0: hey small group network family jason bands here group talk producer and small group network creative arts director thank you so much for tuning into this episode of reading lens and thank you to nick andrew and carolyn now before we go i just have one question for you are you subscribed to the small group network monthly e-newsletter From our latest articles, videos, and podcasts, to our upcoming events, to our huddle conversation starter, this dynamic resource is delivered directly into your inbox each month. Join the 20,000 other small group point people who have subscribed by visiting smallgroupnetwork.com. Scroll down to the bottom and click the blue subscribe button today. And thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically.